1: And we have long pondered the relationship of mind and matter especially when we're contemplating separation and connection is there a connection there one thing we have learned is that when we shift a fundamental belief we automatically shift our attitudes thoughts feelings and decisions new attitudes bring new priorities and when that happens everything changes so what if you could shift your belief about love and intent and discover how they operate beyond the boundaries of the brain and even beyond the boundaries of beliefs. What if you could infuse your love and intent into any physical object and then transfer it to other people and objects? Sound intriguing? Today, we are going to explore just that and I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment Open your mind and heart and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Richard Gordon, founder of Quantum Touch Organization, is a visionary and a pioneer. With 37 years of experience in the field of energy medicine, Richard is the best-selling author of Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal, now published in 17 languages, and Your Healing Hands, The Polarity Experience, available in 10 languages. I am looking forward to talking to Richard about his latest book, The Secret Nature of Matter. Hi, Richard. Welcome to the show.
0: Hey, Julie. A pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, yeah, you're welcome. I'm like so intrigued by your writing. I've known about quantum touch for decades myself, and I'm excited to have this conversation. But first, I have a traditional first question here on the Dr. Julie show that I really like to to ask, to ground our conversation in this bigger perspective, and I think you're just going to love it if you've never listened to our show, so that first question is, Richard, can you um, share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
0: Wow, that's a really big and deep question, and it's kind of impossible for the ordinary mind, the ordinary state of consciousness to even begin to perceive, conceive, or grok that concept. But from the deepest levels of awareness, we are, everything is connected. Everything in the universe is absolutely connected. And I did some exploratory work with finding emotional causes of health conditions. And one of the magnificent insights is that Everything about the condition is reminding us of emotions we didn't want to feel. And when you realize the extraordinary choreography of the reality to be able to have everything about the condition, the judgments, the emotions, the symptoms, everything reminds us of emotions we didn't want to feel. You realize we're living in a spiritual reality.
1: Mm. I want to talk about that spiritual reality so much more, but your Um, comment about exploring the emotions of illness reminds me of your story because you shared in this book, The Secret Nature of Matter. Mm -hmm. And I would love for you to share with our listeners a little bit about you. Who are you? You've had decades of work in the quantum touch arena and um, and so much more. And now this new book. So why don't you give us a little bit about your story and how you came to to energy work and healing?
0: I came to energy work in a way that I never would have imagined. Uh, I was a non-theist growing up. I just had no interest in the subject of religion or or theology or anything. And I had experiences that woke me up. And one of the set of experiences happened to do with energy healing, where I had lots of symptoms and the doctor said, let's wait till you get worse so we can figure out what to do with you. And I had a, a polarity therapy session back in about 1975 or 74, and it took me from feeling my worst to feeling my best in an hour. I studied it, I wrote a book on the subject that came out in 1978. And just months before the book came out, I met a gentleman named Robert Rasmussen, who was this large, blasé, obese man telling tall tales, and I couldn't believe anything he said. You know, like the time the broken bone that was you know, sticking out of the flesh of a, a broken bone, a broken leg. And the next day, the child was able to walk again comfortably. Uh, crazy stories like that. And then he said, oh, yeah, I just touch people and bones glide back into alignment with a light touch. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. But my girlfriend got, gets in front of the room and we're looking at her major scoliosis. And I'm watching the hips just roll back to alignment with a light touch. And my jaw was on the floor. I eventually apprenticed with him, took over in his retirement, evolved his work radically, extraordinarily far, and now we're sitting on the edge of reality because the world has not yet caught up with the discoveries that we've made.
1: Mm. That primary discovery that you're talking about, I, I would love for you to, to speak to that because it's mm. Really, you, you premise in your book that this one reality can shift everything for us, and, and then we can move into living in a spiritual reality because that's what it all talks about. But what is that discovery?
0: Okay. It actually was four or five breakthroughs that led to this. It wasn't a single one. The first breakthrough for me was discovering that life force energy was real. That's called the prana, the chi, the ki. And that's what I wrote about in my first book that came out in 1978. The next big discovery came in 1978, which was discovering that you could move the energy with consciousness through your body using breathing and body awareness exercises. And by doing that, you create a field of energy and the other person will match your vibration. We have to understand, (coughs) excuse me, that all healing is self-healing. That means the cells heal themselves. And so what we do as practitioners is we raise our vibration higher and higher to create a field and then let the other person match us and then their body and spiritual intelligence does whatever healing it decides to do. The cells heal themselves. I don't know how to heal anybody else's cells. And that allowed us to see bring that we could actually bring down inflammation very quickly. Like you see a major sprained ankle and you bring the inflammation down so you can actually see like 80% or more less puffiness in about an hour, hour and a quarter. But one of the things that intrigued me was that the bones would slide into alignment visibly in seconds, magically, because there's no record of that happening. The next major breakthrough that led to these discoveries was the discovery that I could cause any of these things to happen two or three times faster without even touching people. I could cause the alignment to occur just by meditating for 10 seconds or less even. That astonished me and and it caused me to write my third book called Quantum Touch 2.0, The New Human, outlining a series of what we'll call new human abilities like being able to work on multiple people simultaneously or multiple conditions at once, even being able to share gifts with one another. The next big breakthrough was the one that I wrote about primarily in my latest book, The Secret Nature of Matter. And this breakthrough was that you could take that same energy and that I could meditate and align 25 people on stage simultaneously when I gave a keynote address at the University of Hong Kong and Macau, and I could put that into any kind of physical object, glass, plastic, rubber, paper, a leaf, a pebble, water, whatever the material was, it didn't matter at all. You know, plastic lid of a coffee cup worked just as well as a beautiful quartz crystal. Everything was holding energy and intention, suggesting that all matter is made out of something that is uh, has a common denominator of consciousness, as if to say that all matter is made of God stuff. The last major breakthrough on this series of breakthroughs was what I call conscious entanglement which means that you can group objects together in your mind, and anything you do to any one of the grouped objects will then happen to all of them simultaneously. And I can go into the details of how I ran these experiments. I ran 58 experiments in my latest book, showing, it was kind of like a journal of, of, okay, I found this out, what happens if I try this? If I boil water, will it still hold the energy? And I got to do all these experiments. And since then, we've had a lot of people replicate these experiments successfully, and they work.
1: Mm. Well, I love that. I love to to just read through your book like it is this journal when you come to these experiments. And the thing that was eye-opening to me, even though I think that I'm a pretty much a, a quantum thinker not in quantum physics but yes. in 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 the nature of matter like you're talking about here the thing that surprised me the most was putting the intention and the love into what we would perceive as very dense matter, or that we would mm-hmm. perceive as non-organic, you know? Yes, yes we, can, we, can, we can do this with crystals, we could do this with other things, but you're talking rubber and plastic, which, you know, most people have this aversion to on the planet, anyway right yeah. now. So sure. tell us more about that. How does that work? and, and what did you learn? And, and yeah, I, I love that experiment. Well, the, it, the whole series of experiments, I should say.:
0: The last breakthrough started. Thanksgiving, a little over two years ago, when my friend Daniel said to me that he had discovered that if you make a movie of yourself doing a healing session, people watching the movie will receive healing. And I had no obvious way of testing this. I My first impression, and I said to him is, I, I really can't believe that. He said, well, test it. So, okay, I'll test it. And so I made a movie of myself meditating to align the hips and the cranial bones, because I can measure that in two seconds and get an absolute yes or no answer. The golf ball is either on the green or it's in the hole. There is no ambiguity whatsoever. If if the right hip appears to be two and a half inches higher than the left when I touch the bone, there's no ambiguity about it. If they look level, five seconds later, there's no ambiguity. So I used that simple thing along with the cranial bones as my test. And the first kinds of things that I tested is what materials will be able to hold energy and intention. And I quickly discovered that it didn't matter at all. A lot of people think you have to wear white light candles, put on the right music, be in the healing room that's painted violet and have the perfect quartz crystal from Madagascar. I could use an old cigarette butt and have my shoes on and and be drinking a beer and it would work just as well. (laughs) None of the spiritual (laughs) materialism mattered in the slightest, as if to say that all matter is actually composed of God stuff, subatomic God stuff. Everything is made of the stuff of consciousness, of the stuff of spiritual nature.
1: Do you equate? subatomic God stuff and consciousness is the same?
0: Um, I think that consciousness is an expression of our spiritual nature. And I think that the dense expression of, of spirituality is in physical form. I think we are spiritual beings. You know, I was reading the other day that that if you were to take Mount Everest and put it into a black hole, it would be compressed to the size of a grain of sand. That's a lot of compression. That's because matter is ninety-nine point nine 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 percent empty space. But I believe that we are ninety-nine point nine 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 percent spiritual being wearing this gross physical meat suit exterior. But ultimately, we are, we're living in a spiritual reality. But the scientists only believe in things that they can measure or put into a formula. Anything that you can't put into physics or in a formula, they simply disbelieve in. Well, for that matter, they must disbelieve in love, gratitude, compassion, and all the other emotions because you can't quantify any of these things. And yet... This is the most important part of us. The access to our love and compassion and other emotions is the most significant part of us. Not how many dollars we have in the account or what kind of car you drive. It is our connection to source, connection to self.
1: Mm, And ultimately, that healing magic that occurs. Making us whole again. You know, you, you talk about, I want to go back to the experiments before we, we get off yeah. into this God stuff and consciousness, because um, I, I would really love to have you teach our listeners what happened. So when yeah. you put the intention and energy into these material um, objects, then someone in just touching that, being in their field. T- tell us how it works. How does yeah. How does that so, heal people?
0: Yeah. Well, I wasn't trying to just to do a healing. I just wanted to do an experiment to see if I could sp- cause what I call SPA, spontaneous postural alignment. In other words, would the hips and occiput move back to alignment? Because these are two things that are considered physiologically impossible. They're both visible to the naked eye. They both happen in a few seconds or less. And it's a clean test for me to see if my tests are getting a yes or a no answer. So one of the earliest experiments, actually one of the earliest experiments I did was I had played golf in the morning, I was wearing the same sweater, and I had a golf tee in my pocket. So I looked at the golf tee and thought, I wonder what would happen if I put the same energy intention to align somebody into the golf tee. And when I handed it to people, it it aligned them. That was a a little wooden tee. Then I tried it with glass and plastic and rubber and everything else, everything worked. Then one of the early experiments I did along these lines was I followed the great rule of science. The first commandment of science is don't fool yourself. And so I went down the street where there was a whole foods market and my friend had a massage chair there. So I handed him a quarter that I had meditated on and told him to put it on a shelf. And I'd measure people who were coming in for massage and then I'd walk around the corner and ask him to either hand them the quarter or not hand them the quarter and then give them the quarter back. And so he put the quarter back on the shelf. And then I would measure them, and I would know within one and a half seconds whether or not he had handed them the quarter. And after being right a dozen times in a row, I figured, okay, I am not fooling myself. I know whether he handed them the quarter or not just by seeing if their hips had become aligned or not become aligned. So that became my simplest test. And then the other tests proceeded from there.
1: Okay. So let's let's just... Pause for a second, because this is so much for us to just listen and hear. This is big stuff here. And what you're doing with these objects is putting, number one, your love Mm -hmm. and compassion into an object, but you are also doing a technique. You're having, you're visualizing this technique that specifically works to align these the occipitus and the and the pelvis and the hip yeah. bones. So it's not that you're just doing a, a, a random generalized no. healing. You're doing this specific technique that you invented that you learned how to do. And when you put the intention into the object, it still in in, in consciousness is affecting their consciousness and their their correct?
0: That is exactly right. And so um We've broadened it. So now people are putting their energy and tension into a group talisman, a, a pendant that I created. What, once I realized I could join objects together in consciousness, I created a beautiful pendant. It didn't have to be pretty, but I thought people wanted something attractive to wear. And I put, I joined them all together in my consciousness, and then I added in my best healing energy, and the information of aligning people, and sent a gift out to my top 50 instructors around the world and asked them to add their best healing energy and intention into the pendant. And they did. And before I realized it, we had sold thousands of these things. We have over 5,000 now. And so every time another person adds their energy into this pendant, it now becomes stronger than it was the day before. And we're getting wonderful stories coming in from people using these things of the most unlikely sorts of healing. And this is just like the tip of the iceberg on the kinds of discoveries that we're going to be making in the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to you for even asking these questions and exploring this. I think about traditional healing and we're we're working with energy medicine and and, um, energy psychology and we assume that our consciousness, just like you said at the top of the show, we're creating this field, we're raising our vibration and that we can, we don't do the healing, the, the, our bodies do our own healing. So we're creating the condition as healers for the condition, for the healing to come forward. We're creating the conditions for the healing to come forward. And what you've done was really kind of broken that mold that not only are we creating this field but that we can hand it off I'm looking at some objects on my desk right now I have this gorgeous little earth marble and I've got Mm -hmm. this gorgeous candle holder with my seven people in a circle I've got this heart thing and I've got this crystal I've got all these things but what what is new about the secret nature of matter that you're explaining to us is that uh, and we all know this about crystals (laughs) But again I just have to go and rubber and glass. So how exciting. This opens up a whole new world of inquiry for those that are on this path.
0: You know, I'm going to be attending the Science of Consciousness conference this year in Tucson, and there'll probably be a 1,000 or 1,200 scientists from around the world. And this is the third year in a row they have not Invited me to be a speaker when I want to demonstrate that I can untwist 50 people on stage simultaneously Just with a touch of my pendant Um, so What I did instead was I'm renting a table there and there's only like a dozen tables And so every one of the people is going to come by and I'm going to offer to align every single person at the conference and teach everybody how to do it themselves and hopefully we're going to get some scientists, some very powerful, successful scientists, be willing to explore a curiosity, a breakthrough, something that they hadn't imagined possible.
1: Mm. So t- tell us this one technique, because you're, you're, you continue yeah. to measure it over and over, and I'm, I'm curious about the benefits of this alignment of what you're seeing with the healing, but Then you can also, there are a lot of other things that we can measure. Has anyone picked up a different kind of of healing technique, a different kind of healing response through this technique that you're having? So I'd love to hear more about both of those.
0: All right. The, The thing is, is that there's almost nothing I can think of that you can get an instant measurement without special equipment that works on everybody within a couple seconds, and you can get an absolute yes or no answer. And the only reason I'm... Focusing on the hips and occiput is because it's misaligned on almost everybody you meet. And I can measure it in seconds and get a yes or no answer. So that's why I focus on that. We had, when I was in Cancun, Mexico at a retreat, um, I ran into this guy who said that he had been a, a real jerk when he was a teenager and liked to get into fights. And he said he hasn't been able to breathe through his right sinus since he was a teenager. So I handed him two pendants and said, well, hold these on both sides of your nose. And within five minutes, he was breathing on the right si- on his right sinus. A friend of mine was taking a walk with me. Jamie and I were walking. And he said he had stubbed his toe so badly in the morning, he didn't know if he could continue after about a mile. And I said, well, take your pendant and just lay it, put it on your toe. He was wearing sandals. So he put it on his toe. Within seconds, he said, Oh my God, my whole, my whole foot is tingling and vibrating. I go, yeah, that's part of the healing. Within a minute or two, he said, I can walk again. And within another couple of minutes, he said he can't even feel his toe. So we're seeing all kinds of healing. Somebody sent in a story about the adult cat and they ran the pendant over its back and spine all the way to the end of its tail. And the cat's tail straightened out. It was born with the bent tail. We don't know the limits of what's going on here, but what I do know is that I have a simple test that works. It's so robust, it's going to work virtually all the time. And when somebody's hips and occiput are massively out of alignment, a novice with no experience at measuring will be able to detect A major difference. If if the right hip is looking two, two and a half inches higher than the left, anybody can see that if the person has a bony structure and just lay your hands on top of the bone and get your eyes level with your hands and you can just see it immediately. The purpose of these experiments is to understand the principles. The depth of healing that can happen with these things is vast and to a large extent, unknown. We did a study recently that was published in a peer-reviewed journal, energy psychology journal, and the study was people with high levels of pain. And of the 41 people, mostly with fibromyalgia, arthritis, or from severe accidents, the average pain relief was better than 67%. But the thing that I thought was most exciting and most intriguing was of the 50 pain conditions these 41 patients had, all 50 pain conditions responded to a quantum touch session. So placebos are going to work a third of the time, maybe a little more on a really good placebo. But you don't see every single pain condition responding. And some got a whole lot better and some got a little bit better. But this was every single one responded in, in that particular study.
1: And is this the same one with Norm Sheely? Which, tell us no, about your relationship that, with him and what he found.
0: Yeah, Dr. Norman Sheely was the founding president of the American Holistic Medical Association, a former brain surgeon. And I met with uh, Elmer Green, the found, the grandfather of biofeedback, and he said, we've got to get Norm Sheely to reach not just look at your work, but to actually research it. So without his help, I would never have gotten to meet Norm because Norm was very skeptical of me and my work. But after working on his secretary, accountant and nurses and having their pain disappear within minutes, he said, let's give you somebody more challenging. So there's a woman in her 90s with severe osteoporosis walking with a a walker, barely able to move forward. And after taking her history for a half an hour, I demonstrated a light touch on her hips and realigned her hips. And she said, oh, I can walk quite comfortably now without the walker. And she's sprinting across the room at about a half a mile an hour. And I said to Norm, are you impressed? And he said, no. I said, well, I'm not always as successful. What would it take to impress you? He said, well, I don't have to do a double blind on everything. I just have to make the test so rigorous, I can't believe anything but the outcome. And I think some of those people today might have liked you a little bit. So he thought they were prejudiced, they might have liked me or might have been open to what I was doing. So the next day, next couple days, we did group quantum touch sessions on every one of his most difficult chronic pain patients. People with 20 and 30 years of constant pain who had never been helped by any traditional or alternative therapy. And what we saw was every single one of those people had between a 30 and 70% reduction of their pain from a single session. And that impressed him a lot because the pain relief was lasting a week later from a single quantum touch session. But that's not what impressed him the most. He was most impressed that I was able to affect people's EEG at a distance. That's the electroencephalographs and bring their brainwaves down to extraordinarily low levels of stress or activity. And then he started calling me a name. He said, well, Richard, you're a world-class healer. And I said, Norm, this is a basic human skill. Anybody can learn it. He then tested all the people in his office I had trained and every one of them was able to affect EEG without, uh, on, on an extraordinary level. And I said, what a coincidence. All your staff are world-class healers. And he said, well, don't rub it in. But there, <laughs> there it was. These human abilities that you think you have to have some kind of, you have to wear a turban or a robe or something and be touched by a dolphin and have a near-death experience. No, it's available. Anybody can do this stuff right away.
1: Mm. I thank you. I just want to pause and just repeat that. Peace, because it's so important for us to hear it's a basic human sk- skill and we all can learn it it's a basic yeah. human skill that's amazing we're going to take a quick break I wonder if any of our listeners are still skeptics we're going to talk about the skeptics when we come back and then we're going to talk about living in this spiritual reality and so much more with Richard Gordon we're going take a quick break we'll be right back
2: Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at autismspeaks.org slash signs, or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better and it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Linda Ellerbee. Did you know that every three minutes, another woman gets the news she has breast cancer? I got it 11 years ago, and I know how scary it can be. Everything your doctor says sounds like a foreign language. HER2-new, oncogene, aromatase inhibitor, ductal carcinoma in situ. What do these words mean? How are you going to decide what to do if you can't even say what you have? Please listen. As soon as you get your diagnosis, go to breastcancer.org. It's a special place on the Internet where you can learn how to say all those breast cancer words and find out what they mean at breastcancer.org you can learn more about your particular kind of cancer and your treatment options and get all kinds of other useful information to guide you and your family through this the first place to go the minute you find you have breast cancer breastcancer.org when every moment matters and a life is saved when someone gives blood when a hand reaches out that moment when heartbreak turns to hope you're there through the American Red Cross down the street across the country around the world you help save the day every day your support truly matters you can help today visit RedCross.org Empower Radio Empowering you 24-7 online at EmpowerRadio.com
0: Now back to the Dr. Julie Show all things connected on Empower Radio
1: Welcome back. Hey, if you're inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and maybe even listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at TheDrJulieShow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's TheDrJulieShow.com. Also, stay connected. All week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Richard Gordon, and you can find so much more about his work in the world at quantumtouch.com. Again, that's quantumtouch.com. Richard, right before the break, I we were talking about the skeptics, and I'm wondering um, what what kind of feedback you are getting with the skeptics and what you might say to those that are listening, that still are a skeptic. You know, I think oftentimes when I think of consciousness and levels of consciousness, if we're coming from that illusion of separation, this consciousness of, of separate self, we look at things so pragmatically and, and need to to see ourselves as these, we don't have an effect on anything outside of ourselves. And when we, when we, go through those different levels of of awakening into different levels of consciousness we begin to see this quantum field that connects everything this entanglement that you're talking about and and that our consciousness is in this unified field and when we come from that place we go oh yeah i get that i understand and now i want to play with this technique and see if I can do it. So, what do you say to skeptics? What what's your answer to the skeptics, and and what kind of um, feedback are you getting?
0: Well, it's really a pleasure for me to meet people who are coming from a skeptical point of view because that's where I started from. I was that skeptic, and so I have the identification of what it means. and I don't want to be fooled by anybody. I don't want to you know hang out with a fraud. And so I embrace them and offer them to look through my telescope, so to speak, use Galileo metaphor, but um, or analogy rather. Um, what I say is you don't have to believe in the ocean to get wet, but you gotta jump in. And so the jumping in for me is a simple, quick demonstration. And I remember one time I was at a, a, an expo where I was giving a speech And this man, this gentleman comes up to me after my talk and he says, I didn't want to humiliate you in front of everybody, but I'm a physiologist and I know you can't possibly move cranial bones because by the time you're an adult, they're fused together. And I said, oh, I'm so glad to meet you. And I happened to find somebody whose occipital ridge was off almost a half an inch high on one side. And that's very high considering the bones are only a few inches apart. And he measures, and I said, what do you see? And he says, well, it looks about five eighths of an inch, you know, about five eighths of an inch high on this side. And I go, that's about what I see too. And so I said, measure again, just to be sure. So he measures a second time. And then I touched the the back of the head for a few seconds, which is the way I used to do it. And I said, okay, measure now. And he looks at me like, why would I measure now? I just measured it. He measures again. And then he takes his hands off and measures another 10 times and he cannot make it look high on that side anymore. And he says, well, it looks even. And I said, yes. Do you have any interest in researching this? And he said, no, I work on amphibians. And then he turns around and just walks away. Like that was the end of our conversation. And I have had so much fun showing this to skeptical people because you will get one of a number of reactions. They will either see it and walk away and just dismiss the experience, or they're going to stick around and say, how did you do that? And can I learn it? And can I repeat it? This is what happened to Galileo when he, he actually wrote a letter to Kepler. And he said, my dear Kepler, when the learned steadfastly refused to look through the telescope, what shall we make of this? Shall we laugh or shall we cry? And that's exactly what it's about. I'm showing people something they know can't be true, and then we find out whether they stick around or whether they run away. And I must say that the people who come from the most materialistic viewpoint usually run away. They say, well, that's weird, and then they just forget about it as quickly as they can. But this thing is robust, and it's visible, and we can show it over and over again.
1: Mm. Yeah, that's what's unique about your writing and this experience is how you're measuring it over and over and over again and, and having witnesses, witnessing yeah. this and, and having being affected by this. One of the sections in the book that I really appreciate is the common fallacies of spiritual materialism. Oh, yeah. I love this section, and can I just throw a few out, and then maybe we can Please. talk about this spiritual reality that we're living in. So, um, the, f- the first one you write, thinking that life force energy is electromagnetic or a physical thing that functions within the law of physics. Say more yeah, about that,
0: that. Oh, that's such a huge one. Um, you take places that I really respect, like heart math, and they're trying to explain the life force energy by explaining. It by comparing it or using the analogy of uh, electromagnetism, and they're showing how the electromagnet magnetic field of the heart expands way beyond your body. But just like light, electromagnetism falls off with distance, inversely squared of the distance from the source, which means that the square of seven is 49 and the square of five is 25. So it means that there's half as much light or electromagnetism at seven feet away as there is at five feet. In other words, if our love fell off inversely proportional to the square of the distance, if somebody was more than 100 feet away from you, you couldn't feel them at all. You wouldn't love them at all or they wouldn't feel your love, but we know that love is not a physical thing and does not fall off with distance. Because people are so familiar with the material aspect of reality, they want to say that the spiritual functions the same way as the physical does. And the clearest and you know thing we can compare it to is electromagnetism. But the spiritual energy is not physical. And that's a really hard thing for people to understand. That there are signals and energies that we're working with that simply are not physical. And and our body responds to these energies, but they can never be measured. They can never be quantified. And that drives the hardcore materialist scientists crazy because they have come with the assumption that everything real can be weighed, measured, or put into a formula. And that is simply uh, their arrogance. Just like the universe, 96% of it is dark energy and dark matter, and they can't even find it. They can't, Mm -hmm. they don't even know what it is.
1: So you, you speak that this physical equipment can only measure physical things. And so therefore it's not, we're not able to measure the, the chi, ki, prana, or other physical, um, non-physical energies that we're talking about here, love, which is amazing. Okay. One more here. And then I want to go into the spiritual, um, reality that we're living in here. You say thinking that you have to use your hands to send or work with energy is a fallacy and i love that one because we're getting into mind and consciousness again and it's not about the touch and and quantum touch um reiki uh, Mm um there's all there's all kinds of techniques out here now so talk a little bit about why it's a fallacy to think that you have to use your hands to send or work with energy
0: well we're so used to using our hands for everything and yet our love is not dependent on our hands if you lost your hands for some reason, you can still love people. And the love is the carrier of the energy, not your hands. If you had no arms, you could do laying on a feet or you could do much more powerful work simply using the heart chakra energy. So when I'm aligning like 25 people at once at the University of Hong Kong or Macau in a meditation, what I do is I'm moving awareness through my whole body I'm focusing on the heart chakra. I'm moving, I'm joining everybody on stage in my mind into one iconic person. I'm projecting that heart chakra energy with gratitude and compassion and energies and love and energies like that to imagine the bone behind the nose and eyes called the sphenoid bone and I'm giving it a little turn. This is a very simple technique that I can teach anybody to do and they will succeed. But the common experience you see people they go to church or they're going to some spiritual or new age kind of event and they're raising their hands as if to send energy to somebody far away or something like this and unnecessary completely unnecessary because you can you don't have to raise your hands to love somebody do you you know if you mm-hmm. if you think about somebody you care about a child or a spouse or a friend and You think about how much you love them. You don't have to raise your hands to feel that feeling. And so that's the spiritual materialism. is thinking that everything we do comes out of our hands. And it's it's a complete fallacy. It's a complete misunderstanding.
1: Mm, Thank you. Thank you for that. Okay, so we're living in a spiritual reality. And another favorite part of the book um, that I have in my hand right here is several pages of identifying these qualities and experiences that make us spiritual. And I love them. It's so easy to say, it doesn't matter if you're spiritual or not. Do you have any of these? And they're amazing. So let's talk about this. What do you mean by we're living in a spiritual reality? And what might you want to say to our listeners about that in this moment?
0: Well, a lot of people may not appreciate that word spiritual reality because it ties in to experiences of religion, shame, guilt, dogma, and other problems with set belief systems. But I do believe we live in a spiritual reality and the physical is only a small portion of what the reality really is. you know, when people reflect back on their life, maybe in a hospice situation, they reflect back not on how much money they made or how many, the nice cars they drove, they reflect back on their love and the people that they've cared about and the choices and decisions that they've made in their life because that's the part that's most real. The part that's most real about our lives is the part that seems least real to the scientists, the, 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 uh, the people who study physics the people who study chemistry, they don't understand the chemistry of gratitude or of joy or of love or of compassion. These things seem intangible, but it's the intangibles that matter the most to us. And these experiences, whether you label them spiritual or not, in my opinion and understanding, these are spiritual experiences. Anybody who can feel a sense of awe, gratitude, joy, passion, compassion, anything along these lines are spiritual experiences taken from a point of view. And this is what matters the most. So if we can reduce the amount of suffering in the world, raise the levels of joy and compassion, you know, if compassion was our priority, not acquisition, there could never be a hungry child. There could never be people without good drinking water. We don't have to have the world that we're living in now where we don't like this person, so we won't talk to them. We don't like this country, we don't, we'll bomb them. We don't have to, to treat people this way. We could have a completely different attitude about the, the world that we live in and create this whole place to be so beautiful and so amazing where people can live to their potentials.
1: Mm. So, saying that, Richard, I'm, I'm I'm with you on this one, and I'm I'm imagining this world. And if we were truly living with these qualities and experiences, even if we didn't call them spiritual, this whole list is amazing. I don't know how many there are, but there's like three and a half pages of these of of everything from giving up all forms of self-pity, prioritizing well-being above material things, treating your body as a temple, choosing to be responsible for your own health. I could go on and on. I love this list. It's so um, oh, it's so rich and diverse and meaningful. Mm-hmm. If we lived by this, what is the, what do you, What do you see for a new world, the evolution of our consciousness and our beingness, if we can live in this spiritual reality and really break through the illusion of separation and materialism that we're talking about?
0: Well, this would be moving from spiritual children or adolescents into adulthood. Mm. This would be where we're not being little. Well, my God is bigger than your God. My God can beat up your God. We, we just get over that and just realize that it's all about love, gratitude, and compassion. The, uh, the possibilities of what a future could look like are so far beyond what we see in the world today that it's, it would look like science fiction. And yet, it, we can only go one step at a time and try to be those changes ourselves. But my hope and what I what I wish to do in my lifetime, if I can if I can do it, well, I'm working toward it, is to help shift the belief. Because where is the leverage of changing the world? Beliefs shape the beliefs determine attitudes. Attitudes determine all the thoughts and feelings, which in turn determine all the decisions and the choices. How do you change the world? Well, in my mind, it's by changing a core belief. And the biggest core belief is that we live in a material world and that our love doesn't have any impact and it only has value to yourself and people who you care about through your actions and behavior. But what I'm seeing is your love is, our, is the strongest resource, the most important resource that we have because it can change everything. And when we can change the belief from complete materialism to understanding that our love really has tremendous value, can have a physical impact on other people, and that it truly matters. That is the leverage point. That's where you really have the power to shift things. And conversely, when you think back on who hurt you the most in your life, what was the message they delivered to you? Their message invariably was your love wasn't valuable your love didn't matter your love didn't have any impact and that extremely painful experience of realizing your love didn't wasn't enough is what causes the damage but what causes the healing is realizing your love is the most valuable thing in the world and to nurture that we could be living in a reality where children were be nurtured to express and explore their creativity and passion, not to try to fit into some mechanized world where they're being bored half to death, learning a bunch of BS from burned out and broken people. There's so much that could be done in terms of creating a new world and new reality. But, you know, we're where we are and we need to take it one step at a time, which is why I'm working to try to get enough research, enough a documentary, enough resources so people can start to actually know that their love has
1: physical impact
0: on the outer reality, immediate impact.
1: Mm. That's an important piece. And and so thank you for that, Richard. I love the conversation about love. Um, Wow. Love is the medicine I'm hearing. What do you say to some of the you know, you you can look online and see some miracle healings and there's there's one where um I I don't know where it's at there, non-speaking, non-English speaking people and they literally are in a room and shrinking a tumor. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful video. What do you say to to the differentiation of love? Versus consciousness, versus God and prayer, some of us might say it's all the same thing. Some may say no. There's a there's a discernment here. What would you say to them about you know? Because love is the medicine you're talking right now. Yeah.
0: So let's see if we can create a, a usable definition or workable definition. And so what I would suggest is that the word love is a overused and it's overgeneralized word but it is not a single thing it is a synergy of mm. of gratitude compassion caring nurturing providing safety providing security providing pleasure providing vulnerability and honesty and trust and safety and 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 on and on, it's knowing and understanding, and it's none of those, and it's all of them in synergy together. It's not any one of those things. It's a combination of all the things that we really do understand. So when you care about somebody, you care about their well-being. You are compassionate to their suffering and want to alleviate that suffering. Love is that synergy of all those kinds of things together working as greater than the sum of the parts. So whether a person is putting that love into a visualization, a prayer, an action of of smiling or whatever it is, it has impact. But because the world doesn't believe in these internal qualities, and only tends to, you know, 98% of the scientists pretty much believe that everything is physical. And as Rupert Sheldrake said, they get it as some sort of intellectual osmosis in college. They don't believe or explore these alternatives. That's why my work is not being researched at universities around the world, because they don't believe it even exists. They don't believe there's anything to study, so they don't look at it. And yet I found a simple way for people to explore the impact of that love. And it's visible, empirical, obvious, robust, and testable.
1: Wow, that's beautiful beautiful richard richard thank you so much for bringing your love and your wisdom to all of our listeners here today i really appreciate you being here
0: well thank you so much this has been a real joy for me too i really enjoyed talking with you
1: oh thank you yes and what a beautiful topic and i i wish you all the best in bringing doing that research and and literally changing beliefs one mind at a time so thank you and thank you listeners for tuning in i want to leave you with one last thought from richard here the best feelings in our life come when we are tapping into our love love is the primary carrier wave of life force energy love is the universal frequency which is able to communicate to all beings there is power in love this power can forever change you and change the world You can live your deepest inspiration to listen and know the very whispers of your soul. You can connect with the ineffable and touch the essence of your own limitlessness. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And remember, together we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.